Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. We are taking a whole month to talk about um, the topic that God is present and talk about what it means to be a presence-based church and just delve into this topic. And I'm so glad that we are because... Um, it's so important. The presence of God is where we came from, and it's where we're going. It's where mankind started in the garden, in unity, in God's presence, and it's our destiny. It's where we're going. We are going to, as believers, spend eternity in His presence. And so I just feel like the more we can learn about it, get used to it, um, learn how to honor His presence, welcome His presence, live and breathe and move among it and in it, the better, the the more prepared we'll be and we can live heaven on earth now in that way. And um, so uh, last week, uh, how many of you here last week for Fred Wright? He was here. I heard he um, had a great time with you guys and, and just talked about going deeper into the river, deeper into the presence. And... Um, he um, is the founding coordinator for our association of churches, so it was a real honor to have him here. Um, and then, and next week we'll be having Luke and Shanna share on the presence. So we just get a great month. All right, so um, um, we are a presence-based church, and. So what that means is we make room for the Holy Spirit, and and we really care each week. Okay, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? We believe, you know, that God is always speaking, and so our part of that is is to tune in and listen to His voice. And so um, we do that in worship, and and Jamie and the worship team is a great example of that. Did you feel the presence of God this morning? Tangibly in the room, and it's just amazing. Lives are changed when we with him. Um, and so um, um, I like the way that God's presence works. It's such a picture of unity um, because God dwells among us. He's in our midst. He inhabits the praises of his people, so he comes to the room like now. Um, it says where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And so he he is among us, but then he also dwells in us, so he's in us, and we carry his presence. First um, Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of God, so he's in us, we're in him, it's just this amazing uh, unity, the presence of God. So in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God's presence resided with the ark. And uh, the ark is a picture for us of how God interacts with us. So we can learn a lot from stories having to do with the ark. Um, and we're going to look at one later to do that. Um, but first, let me just tell you a little bit about the ark of the covenant. In Exodus 37, um, we read how Bezalel made the ark using acacia wood. And God gave such specific instructions to the Israelites how to build it and how to handle it. Um, you know, they were they were never to touch it and only the priests who were Levites could get close. And um, 
they had to make all these preparations and sacrifices and wear certain clothes and and, and all of these, all of these things because they were going to be so close to the holiness of God that they they had to do all these things. It was worth it to go through all this because for that closeness, God always desires closeness, always has and still does. Um, and so um, under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit filled some people. Desire to fill all. Um, in in Exodus 19:6, we read that his desire was that we all would be priests, that we all would would carry his presence. Um, God tells the Israelites, "And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." And then in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, um, God's presence resides inside believers. Um, in First Peter 2:9, it says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Um, that you may proclaim the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, yeah, we're all anointed to be priests. Each Christian is priest. In the moment um, that Jesus died on the cross, the veil and the curtain that, that separated the ark from everyone, um, that that veil was torn top to bottom when Jesus when Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins. He allowed that allowed access for everyone to the presence of God. Um, so God is available to fill all, and we're all able to be carriers carriers of His presence. Um, so we are going to look at a story from the life of King David, having to do with carrying God's presence. And um, we can learn from what David experienced. Um, we're going to learn from what he did right and what he did wrong. And we'll see how does this apply to us as a presence-based people that make up a presence-based church. So um, this story is found in both First Chronicles and Second Samuel. Um, first, a little background. David loved the presence of God. He, um, as a boy, he keeping sheep, he would just praise and worship God day after day with his harp and sing and write songs. And he had such a relationship with God's presence. Um, he knew that God was good and, and uh, that God poured out blessing on those who were close to him. And, and, you know, he knew God was powerful, right? David and Goliath and and so David knew, like, I want to be on God's side. And that's the side to be on, you know. So David has this history with God. and um, So our story begins when David is crowned king of Israel. King Saul, who is the first king of the Israelites, dies. And um, so the elders of, of Israel come to David at Hebron, and they uh, anoint him. Um, just as God had commanded them to do through Samuel. And um, so what David wants to do is um, go get the ark, the presence of God. Because during the time of Saul, the ark was forgotten about. And um, so David is, is going to go up to um, what would be called the city of David and, and rule and lead from there. And so he's like, well, I don't want to go there without the presence. 
let's go, let's go get that art. And so everyone agreed, that's a great idea. So the Bible tells us that all of Israel and all of his soldiers, like this huge parade, can you believe like how big this parade would be, um, to go get that art? It was in Judah, in, in the house of Abinadab, and um, so they, uh, like David is just, I want the presence, right? He knows how good it is, and so his heart is just in this great place, and so he, um, they get it, and, and they get it from the house of Abinadab, and they put it on a brand new ox cart, and, and the oxen are, are pulling it, and Abinadab's son are driving the cart, and Uzzah, one of the sons, is alongside the cart. And so here they go in procession, and David and all of Israel um, just worship exuberantly in, in song and dance. I mean, it was loud. Every kind of instrument, um, and, and they're just going. And, and then something completely unexpected happens. This was not in, in David's agenda at all. It's <laughs> his itinerary for the trip whatsoever. Um, what happens is the, the oxen stumble and the cart tips and the, um, the ark is upset and starts to fall. And so Uzzah reaches out and grabs it so it doesn't crash. And, um, and God blazed in anger against Uzzah. The Bible says he struck him hard because he profaned the ark. And Uzzah died on the spot in the presence of God. Whoa. <laughs> Shook things up, this, this parade that was going on here. Um, so David's response to this is in First Chronicles 13:11 through 13. It says, Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how could I ever bring the ark of God to me? He just went to this, like, hopeless place. Like, how could I possibly even do it, you know? And, and so it says, he did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark was stored there, and uh, and then everything in in the household completely prospered because of the presence of God. And um, and David, you know, knew that where God's presence was is blessing. That's why he wanted it in the first place, right? And so this is just very confusing for David. And um, I just um, feel like maybe some of you could relate with David. You know, uh, maybe you haven't had a friend die in the process of pursuing God, but have you ever been hurt in the process of doing something for God? You know, like you're living for Him, your your heart's in this right place, you just want, you know, a good thing, and then something goes terribly wrong. And you relate to this. You know, um, maybe something you were counting on happening doesn't happen. Um, maybe someone breaks the promise. Um, maybe a, a leader you really trusted hurts you. Um, maybe God just doesn't act the way you expected him to. I can really relate to that one. I've had times in my life.
I really thought God was going to do something, and it didn't happen that way, and it just, you know, broke me. And, uh, you know, so I think we can relate to, to at times like this. Um, you know, maybe you thought he was going to do something, I said that, do something a certain way, and he doesn't. Or you just face a disappointment that leaves you confused and hurt. And so as a result, maybe you backed away from his presence. You know, maybe you left the level of intimacy, the level of passion, you know, that you were functioning in. Or maybe like David, you called it off. Um, and and if, if that is you, we can learn a lot from the story. There's, there's um, some good things we can get out of it. So um, to continue our story, uh, David goes back home, and the Bible tells us that he's there for three months. And I like that it tells us some things that happened during that time. Um, when I was studying this, I really enjoyed that because there is this process when something happens and you get confused. You sort of need to work it out with God. And, um, and so David did that. Um, some of the things that happen is uh, that God confirms David as king over Israel. He does um, some really dramatic things to really establish him and establish his reputation as, yeah, this is my king over Israel. And, and David recognizes that blessing from God. Okay, wow, all right, you know. Um, also, God gives the Israelites victory over the Philistines twice within that time. Both times the Philistines were um, going to attack them, and both times David prayed, and he's like, God, what should we do? Are you going to give us the victory here? And in both times, God gave David specific battle plans, things to do, and he did exactly what God commanded, and and the Lord uh, defeated the army for them. And it was really powerful, and it's just, you know, David's rejoicing over that. Like, wow, you know, God is powerful. He is on my side. Yeah, I knew those things to be true about God. Okay, they're still true about God. All right. So then David, he he studied. He studied. um, Because you can tell, because he does things completely different a little bit later. And he learned how to carry God's presence properly. And um, and and he he still wanted that blessing of being close to his presence. He still wanted that ark where he was. He knew that there was greater intimacy to attain. You know, David during that time he was still praying, right? He was still hearing from God. Um, God was still blessing him, but that he wasn't satisfied with that. He knew there was more. So it says that in the city of David, that David uh, begins to prepare for the ark. He clears a place for it. He pitches a tent. He gave specific orders. No one carries the ark except the Levites. Because God designated them and only them to carry it. Um, David calls everyone in Israel to assemble in Jerusalem to bring up the ark, just like before everyone's a part of this. And... Um, 
He has the, the priests and Levites con- consecrate themselves. It's a little different than the first time, right? Two, two different things here. And then um, it says in First Chronicles 15:13, um, David says, "The first time we did this, you Levites did not carry it properly, and God exploded in anger at us because we didn't make proper preparations and we didn't follow instructions." And I just like to see the difference in the, that three months' time from from the verse above where he's at this place. He's angry. He's terrified. He feels hopeless. How can I ever accomplish the thing I want to do? You know. And until and, and then he he figures it out. He talks with God. That God teaches him. Well, okay. We didn't make proper preparations. So he's going to go back. Right. Um, see, God is um, a really good father, and, and he gives us warnings, you know. He, he gave a lot of warnings about how the presence of the ark was to be handled. And so um, Uzzah died not because God isn't good. Uh, he died because they weren't doing it right. Um, they weren't following the instructions that God had laid out for them. The people weren't bearing his presence. Animals were. Um, how completely opposite from God's design, right? Like, his whole desire is intimacy in, in his presence among his people and his people close. And so God wouldn't compromise. Um, only people can carry my presence. So it wasn't a punishment against Uzzah, it was simply a consequence. So the second time, David does it right. The Levite carried the ark of God exactly as God commanded through Moses, carried it with poles on their shoulders, careful not to touch it with their hands. Again, they went rejoicing and a big celebration and every instrument and singing and dancing. Uh, But they paused. To, to worship by sacrificing golden rams. Um, they were dressed in the elegant linen and the things that they were supposed to wear. And um, it says that David danced with great abandon before the Lord, and they came into Israel, and so they came into the city of David, and um, and, and set the ark there and, and established um, worship there. And um, so David learned how to carry God's presence the proper way. He learned from the consequence, and he came back and carried it again. That's what I want us to get to look at. So that's the story. And um, now I have um, seven things that we can learn about carrying God's presence. Application. Um, number one, desire God's presence. God is good. He is someone to desire closeness with. And, um, you know, if you are new to the idea of closeness with the presence of God, um, I would just encourage you to just start getting used to his presence. And, and one of the ways I like to encourage people to do this is that at home, in the, in the privacy and comfort of your own home, um, just 
turn on some worship music and begin to worship. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of people. And so you just begin to worship and you can say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you to come, fill this room, you know, and, and just and just start to get used to his presence. And um, and then in corporate worship sessions uh, as well, you can feel his presence and just, again, you know, Holy Spirit, I, I'm open to your presence. Thank you for being here and just, you know, kind of start to get used to that. Really good. <laughs> um, number two, God is deserving of exuberant worship. He really is. Um, David recognized that God responds to the praises of his people with his presence. He comes. And so we can worship God exuberantly. Um, number three, God blesses those who are, who are close to his presence. God abundantly blessed the household of the people, the household or the people um, surrounding the ark. You know, so whenever you're close to him, you align yourself next to his power, his blessing, next to his favor. It's just a byproduct of being close to his presence. Um, number four that we can learn from the story is, is to prepare for God. David, David learned that he needed to prepare for it. So um, we can do that by asking him when we do this, you know, before a service. And, and, and actually, you know, when we create, you know, when it comes up with the, the sermon topic and the themes and things, we, you know, we say, God, what do you want to do? We want to, we want to, you know, make room for you. We want to do what you want to do. So, God's instructions. God is to be obeyed. His holiness deserves it. Um, and so uh, we can live and worship in ways that honor Him. Um, and um, uh, I've just been thinking about how, you know, our personal holiness is important to God um, because it allows us to be closer to Him. Like, that's our end of it. You know, he, he saved us by grace. His gift cleanses us. But then we get to choose to live holy. And, and, and we're closer to his presence than we do. Closer to him. And that's just all part of, uh, growing in maturity and, and growing in, in our personal holiness is this journey. And so it's so important that we remain teachable. We don't know it all the minute we, 
you know, get saved. And, and so um, we just have to keep remaining teachable. Okay, God. Yep. <laughs> That's good. Um, a couple of verses about this. Psalm 15, Psalm 15, 1 and 2 says, Who may worship in your sanctuary? Who may enter your um, presence? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere heart. And Ephesians 4.30 says, Don't grieve God. This is the method version. Don't grieve God. Don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life. Making you fit for Himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Alright, and so number six. Um, when something confusing happens, seek God. Uh, David did that, and it, it worked out well for him. So, you know, when something happens that throws you for a loop and catches you off guard, you know, spend that time. Work it out with God. Learn what you didn't know about Him before. Um, seek godly counsel. Study the scripture and allow Him to redefine your understanding of how He acts, of how He wants you to act or view a situation. Um, I like this quote from, from Bill Johnson. He says, God will not violate his word, but he doesn't seem to mind violating our understanding of his word. Who can relate to that? Who has had their understanding of his word by? Oh, it's like, oh, okay, that's a clue that there's something there for us to learn about him. All right, and then finally, number seven. Go back to God's presence. If you're separated from that level of intimacy and passion, um, go back to closeness with God. I just feel that he is beckoning you this morning to go back. And if you've never been there before, he's beckoning you to come to intimacy with him. If that's not something you've ever experienced, hey, he wants you. He wants you to know what it's like to be close to his presence. And so he's beckoning you as well. So be restored to a deeper place of intimacy. And then move forward in him with your newfound understanding. Um, And like David, come back and carry God's presence. That's all I have for you this morning. I invite Cameron to close us out. Yeah, give her a big hand. Thank you, Marilee. That was a great teaching. And uh, just a couple of things to to kind of wrap it up and, and tie it together is that um, as a church, we wanted to teach on what it means to be a presence-based church uh, because that is, a, that is who we are. That's the kind of church we are. And there's lots of different kinds of churches, all right? Uh, there's Baptist churches, there's Methodist churches, um, Presbyterian churches, liturgical churches, you know, that follow a 